Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. This week's episode is going to be very different in tone. You'll notice that I am going to behave a lot differently from how I am usually, and that's because I was joined by a guest. And this person and I go way back, and I feel that it would be very difficult to try and conduct an entire podcast episode with somebody if I was to put on this persona. So this week it's a lot dirtier, it's a lot more free-flowing, and it's a lot more relaxed. I hope you enjoy it. I had a blast recording this episode with uh, my guest, and I hope to have him on again soon. And going forward, all guest episodes are going to be in this style because it's a lot easier to record for me and it's a lot easier for the other person. So with all that said and done, I hope you enjoy this week's episode. So welcome everybody to Intoxicated Pop Culture Ramblings of a Very Bored Man. Uh, If you're hearing my voice, I sound a lot different than I normally do, less methodical, because this time I'm joined with a very old friend from college. Uh, We took film production together and he has his own channel and it started as a small little passion project and it's quickly growing and growing every day and I brought him on because he's really knowledgeable in film and music and also I miss talking to him because whether he knows it or not I kind of like the guy so this is uh Mike McClett otherwise known as Mad Mike on YouTube Mike Welcome to the show. Uh, as my catchphrase goes, hey, fucks. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Fucking so. gay. Um, yeah. Thank you for all those kind words you just said. Yeah, I am here uh, on your pop culture ramblings of a very drunk man podcast. Um, yep. And I've changed the title like three times. I might, that might be the next iteration if I get really bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so yeah so mike uh you so when i have so mike you're the first guest i've had and what i'd like to do is i'm gonna i'd like to have the guests choose the topic so uh why don't you share with everybody what your topic what you wanted to do or what you wanted to talk, discuss well um what i'd like to discuss is about this is topic that uh has kind of had me thinking lately um it is directors who kind of step out of their comfort zone right Mm -hmm. and i um the reason that i wanted to bring that up was because i always really appreciate it when directors do that um because Mm -hmm. Just like anything else in life, when you step out of your comfort zone, that is a very tough thing to do. Um, it could be, you know, it could be you have you have trouble getting on a fucking roller coaster. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's a tough thing to get on that roller coaster, but it's like, you know what, you're, you're happy with your experience. Um, and I, I appreciate that in music, too. Um, you, like... Well, we'll talk about my, uh, I'm plugging my fucking video. I am so sorry. Doing it right now. Just going Uh, for it. And it's my Metallica video, the Black Album. Um, 
I don't think I made this point in the video, but uh, I always appreciate it when artists, musicians, uh, directors, whatever, step out of their comfort zone, because that was a huge step out of their comfort zone in so many ways. Um, you know, they went from playing very progressive, very fast-paced thrash metal to playing a lot like, I don't want to say radio-friendly, but a lot more... Uh, stripped down, simplified, uh, more grandiose um, arena rock sort of thing, yeah. or, or arena metal. And yeah. you know, not not only did they step out of their comfort zone musically, but they stepped out of their comfort zone in the way they you know got music done because they brought in a actual producer for this one. Uh, the producer they had for their first four albums was a pretty much a glorified engineer. And just kind of mm. like, just, you know, made sure everything sounded good and shit. Whereas Bob Rock was like, no, no, no. Impress me, greatest guitarist of the year. Give me a <laughs> fucking good solo for once. And like basically <laughs> completely changed the dynamic for them. But they knew in the end that, that it would pay off. And it absolutely did. And that was an example of an artist stepping out of their comfort zone and absolutely fucking knocking it out of the park. Yeah. And, um, what I, the reason I want to talk about it was because a, a movie that recently came out, um, it was last the, uh, around Halloween last year was, uh, Edgar Wright's last night in Soho. Uh, have you seen yes. that one? I have, uh, I went to see it in theaters fucking killer. Fl- I was excited for it. My, when I'm really excited for a movie, I try to avoid all marketing Mm-hmm. for it so i went in knowing nothing all i knew was that it was edgar wright doing a straight horror because yeah. even he's done horror ish in the past mm-hmm. but this is the first time where it's like it's actually labeled as this is a true to form horror film yeah and so i went to see it and it's a killer movie like it looks great i mean it's well shot it's well edited like in typical edgar wright fashion mm-hmm. um i wouldn't i would say I would say it's his weakest movie that I've seen. Same here. But that's but, but that's kind of like saying, you know, I mean, a left-handed Edgar Wright movie is still pretty solid. It's yeah. still better than most movies out there. So it's not yeah, a bad it's, movie. Uh, you know, Edgar Wright's garbage is Uwe Boll's masterpiece, right? Exactly. So, so uh, <laughs> Does anybody still make jokes about Uwe Boll? Even relevant? <laughs> No, uh, who's who's like the the big like famous bad direct like M Night Snow because he's made some good movies. Um, Neil Breen, I guess. Well, actually, no, Neil Breen's the greatest director who ever lived. But uh... <laughs> oh god, you're one of those. <laughs> um, hey, I love the memes, man. Yeah, the memes... I think I think Alex Kurtzman. I think he's somebody that a lot of people don't really like. Yeah, there we go. Okay, yeah, Mike just did a face slap. I'm so taking I a drink. I... Yep, there we go. <laughs> Okay, so little, little, so we'll a, little ASMR there. <laughs> so, okay, so we'll do that. Um, yeah, I personally don't hate Alex Kurtzman, uh, but I can recognize why people would feel the opposite way. I I can see why. Uh, well, um, you know, uh, for years we always thought you know the Borg would be the ones to kill off Captain Picard, but no, it was Alex Kurtzman. Um, 
honestly, uh, we could probably do a whole nother episode about that. <laughs> fucking Kurtzman. But anywho, yes, Edgar yes. Wright. Yeah, Last Night's Hope. This is it's a solid movie. Yeah. Um, if I don't intervene, it'll go off for another half hour tangent. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I, I just, I really like the first, like, the first two thirds of the movie are fucking amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I really liked how he uh, handled the emotions you go through when you're moving to a completely different spot, like a completely different place. She was like in the, in the English countryside and then going straight from there to London. Yeah. Very fish out of water. Yeah. In university surrounded by a lot of big city people like that. (laughs) That's a culture shock. Yeah, look, I went from a small town uh, to going to a slightly bigger town to go Mm -hmm. to college. So I can't even imagine (laughs) going from the way she jumped in that movie. I can't imagine doing that. Yeah, it would be. uh, And the way he captured that, like that feeling of like not isolation, but just like, yeah, like you said, fish out of water. I thought that was like he captured that really well, that emotion and that tone. Um, and also I really liked how, uh, it was set up. The whole sixties thing was set up. Mm -hmm. Um, you kind of think at first that it's all in her mind and this is just a fantasy she's playing, but then it turns out, no, it's like, (laughs) she's getting visions of what fucking happened in this fucking place. Yeah, and... I was very confused. I remember watching it as it unfolded, being very like, okay, so it's this? I went, no, but because there's all these visual cues, like seeing herself in the mirror, but then it's Anya Taylor-Joy, so you're thinking, well, what is happening? And then, yeah, like you're like you're about to say, I'm guessing, I'm assuming you're about to say, like, uh, you're, you watch it slowly unfold. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like watching it like... And this is the other thing I wanted to touch on was I really liked what Edgar Wright through his through this movie had to say about uh, nostalgia and how we're blinded by it. Yes, Um, because, you know, she's this character has so much love and like almost like a devotion, like a, a devotion to 1960s culture. And like, you know, we all, like, I know I've said it a lot. Like we all wish we could just go back to the time, to the good old days. Yeah. And I then when I was younger and dumber. I thought the same way. Like, uh, you know, uh, I, I always say like, I want to go back to the eighties when there was a cold <laughs> war and fucking, uh, you know, <laughs> what else happened? Like a lot of cocaine. Uh, you could buy cocaine out of a vending machine. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, uh, and like a lot of bad shit was happening and the same thing happened in the 1960s. Like, you know what? Women were not treated very well back then, especially yeah. women in show business. And sixties uh, London. Yeah, no, it was a dark, dark time. It definitely, yeah, I was not <laughs> expecting the movie to take that kind of turn. Yeah. It was very disturbing. Yeah. I will say, like probably more disturbing than the actual some of the i guess you call them i call them the 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 quote-unquote true horror elements like the mainstream horror the use of the ghosts 
and the spirits. Yeah. Um, because this is where the movie kind of, I wouldn't say it falls apart, but it's a movie where it's kind of like, okay, um, he is all the ghosts that Edgar Wright uses, they all look the same. Yeah. And they show up a lot. And mm. some of the, like, you know, that sequence where she's in the library and she's running down the hallway and the ghosts are always there. Yeah. The camera work keeps it interesting, but really the ghosts, you see them so frequently and it's kind of, they're kind of stale at a certain yeah. point. I feel what's yeah. driving you forward is, is the, uh, the story and the context behind it. But mm-hmm. I think Edgar Wright, cause he tried to make just a true to form horror film. Mm-hmm. He isn't quite... I think he should keep going with it, because it's yeah. a great foundation, but it felt like whenever it was just the ghost, like, okay, they're not as great now for <laughs> yeah. the fourth time. Yeah, But like, the scenes where it's Anya Taylor-Joy going through her trauma, and especially the knife scene in the bedroom, the first one, is mm-hmm. horrific. Like, yeah. really frightening, and so stylistic. It's so... It's so great. You, you kind of yeah. wish there were more scenes like it, you know, throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And I, um, you know, spoiler alert for anyone listening and hasn't watched it yet. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, I, spo- like, I spoil everything I talk about. So yeah. like, if they don't know, if they haven't learned by now, <laughs> whoops. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> you're about uh, four weeks behind. Yeah. I, um, I, <laughs> I knew pretty much right off the bat that the old landlady was that was Anya Taylor Joy's character. Um see I didn't. I thought it was gonna be the mother. And yeah I thought it was I thought it was gonna be the main character's mother because there was so much build up to it. I thought it was gonna be her. But when it was landlord it made sense. Like I was I was going, oh that's bullshit. It was still like what? I totally thought it was gonna be the mother. Yeah and, and like I, I just at that point I'm like okay well it's I feel like it's obviously going to be the landlady, but I hope it's not. Mm, <laughs> I hope it's like they yeah. can. I hope they can give us something else here, but it, then it just kind of turns out it was. Um, See, that's that's why they don't hire me to write plot when it comes to. Whenever yeah. I do write, I uh, yeah, I'm terrible with that shit. Some people go, "Oh, I totally called it." It's like, "Oh, I, I'm too st- <laughs> me, my dumb brain." I'm going, "Look how pretty the editing is. <laughs> look at that character's performance." I don't stop to think about that. <laughs> well, like, yeah, you know, it's Edgar Wright. The guy can shoot a movie and edit a movie like it's nobody's fucking business. Um, look, that dance scene rocks. Yeah, it does. With uh, Matt um, Matt Stone's name, right? Uh, Matt. The, or... He plays the pimp. That is, I can't remember his name, but I know he plays one of the doctors. In yeah, Doctor Who. He, that's why I'm. That's why I'm so angry at myself. I'm a massive Doctor Who fan. Yeah. Um. So it's Matt Stone. I think I'm pretty sure it's Matt Stone. That dancing between him and and Anya Taylor Joy in the club mm-hmm. where she keeps switching back and forth. That scene rocks. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And uh, well. Let's see here. The uh, Matt Smith, yeah, That's Matt Smith, Matt yes. Stone. Who the Matt fuck Stone Matt's... is the creator of South Park. <laughs> That's who I'm thinking of. Matt Stone. That's why I get Matt Smith. Okay, I was like, he's she's dancing. Matt's... With... Matt Stone. I, I don't remember if she was dancing with Cartman or not, but like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I. <laughs> 
Yeah, so uh, yeah, last night in Soho, uh, starring uh, South Park's Matt Stone. Uh, so yeah, great, know, he decides. Look, my voice <laughs> has made me a lot of money. Now I want to make my face and my <laughs> yep glorious hairline to make me a lot more money. Yep, and Matt Stone's a genius. If nothing against Matt Stone, yeah, he's he, wonderful. Uh, I um I, I really like the movie and uh, like the last third of it and the ending was kind of a little bit, you know, it kind of went teetered off a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of wish it could have all just been in her head because again it would have played into the whole, um, you know, her being a fish out of water and just being a complete mental mess. Because that that is a that is a thing that happens, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of wish they kind of kept that angle. Um, yeah. But uh, again, I there there's so much good stuff to appreciate it that like it doesn't completely ruin the movie for me. <laughs> so yeah, uh, and see, it's funny for me. I'm the opposite way. I I think the first third, it really. I like a lot of scenes. Like I love when she's, you know, when she wraps herself in the blanket. When there's a whole party, she has the headphones on. I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, okay, that's really cool. But the first third, it takes a while for the movie to to lift up. I love slow burn movies, but if I was to think that first third, it takes a while for it to really take off because, yeah. especially when you're think of this as like an Edgar Wright movie, it's mm-hmm. kind of shocking at how restraint it feels. It's not mm-hmm. until the sixth thing kicks in that you're like, oh, the, yeah, it's just an Edgar Wright movie. The whole mm-hmm. beginning, you feel like, you kind of wonder, did I step into the wrong theater? Because it feels like he's holding back, and you see why. Mm-hmm. So I I like the last two-thirds better than the first third mm-hmm. because it felt more like what I was expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess for me personally, I'm one of those weirdos... Like I love supernatural stuff, and I love the thought of it being real. So, it not being in her head, I really enjoy because I'm. That's just, I mean, I'm the weirdo. I like to think that ghosts are real, and I, I'm more frightened by that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was wondering, is that ending was the ending in her head because it's such a harsh cut? You almost wonder is is the ending like in her mind, or did she die actually die that night, or you know yada yada. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's one. Of the, but it's, it's you know to its credit, it's one of those movies you can look at it either way, mm-hmm. how it ends, and yep. uh, both versions are correct. Yeah, it's a so left it's... hope to interpretation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think it's his like his weakest one too. But I, it's again not that I fucking hate it. But it, yeah. when your when your competition is Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz. World's End, Scott Pilgrim, and Baby, Baby Driver, Ant Man. Oh wait, um, and uh, <laughs> Fucking, not, that's a deep cut. I'm not salty about that at all, Marvel. That's a, um, that's a deep cut right there. Uh, wow. And uh, like, just when your competition is that, it's like okay, one of them's got to be in last, right? And yeah. So. The, yeah. I guess the only that's the only criticism I, compared to those other movies. There's not as much heart. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful movie. There's not as much heart. There's not as much like depth yeah. there as there has been in his previous films. I've found. Yeah. 
and I feel like, yeah, the, the Simon Pegg has always been a really good at capturing like that kind of heart. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, um, yeah, well, like, uh, like he, when like Simon Pegg, he wrote, uh, Star Trek beyond and all the scenes with, uh, like Kirk and, uh, bones in that movie. Mm hmm. That's the heart of the movie, and it's so good. And those are the moments where you think that's Simon Pegg right there at work. Mm -hmm. Yep. So he's, uh, yeah. It's interesting seeing this new. It's almost it's similar to like uh, like Christopher Nolan's new series of movies without his brother writing. Mm -hmm. There feels like a more focus on spectacle, less on yeah. the heart and the characters. And yeah. I feel like that's what's going on with Edgar Wright right now, where. Mm -hmm stylistically he's reinventing himself but there's uh there's like a that missing component that made yeah. those earlier work so uh so brilliant mm -hmm. and, and uh, uh, so moving yeah and like because my favorite of his because people look at him as like the comedic director but if you watch Shaun of the dead there are some parts in there that just are fucking heartbreaking i uh, like... i yeah i did a whole episode about it i talked about <laughs> yeah. it's a horror it's a horror comedy, but there's some horrific scenes and the scene where he has to shoot his mom is heart wrenching drama. It's yeah. And then it pivots right into beating a zombie with golf clubs to the beat of don't stop me now. <laughs> yeah. It's such a, and it doesn't feel bad. It, it's such a brilliant movie. He's such a capable director and storyteller. Mm -hmm. um, and then... But and then like uh like and the same thing happens in uh hot fuzz that's my favorite from him it's mm. uh it's a, a buddy cop it's such a great it's it, it's got like that uh that same effect that scream has the original scream not the scream that came out this year which i call five cream uh five cream yeah um <laughs> it's scream it's like it's like how the new halloween is just halloween 2 2 <sighs> You know what I mean? <laughs> like, oh my god, it's so stupid. Anyways, that's a that's a topic for another episode. That uh, is, but, yeah. uh <laughs> like it, it, it hot fuzz to me is like it's almost got that effect that Scream does for horror movies, where it's such a great send up of horror movies, but it's a mm -hmm. great horror movie on its own. Yeah, the, hot fuzz is such a great like lampoon of like cop movies and buddy cop movies but it's also a fucking fantastic buddy cop movie yeah um, it's it's really great my personal um, favorite of his is world's end because i love the characters and i love like yeah. uh the action and everything it feels world mm -hmm. because i watched one night i watched all three in a row and the world's end for me feels like the culmination of what he's learned from the previous two movies put into the one great movie. Mm -hmm. Hafaz, Hafaz is awesomely written. I don't like how the action is shot and edited, but I understand he's what he, the style he was going for and what movies were like at the time. I can forgive it, <laughs> but world's end has action scenes done the way I like action scenes to be done. So that's why I, I like it a bit better, but hot fuzz. What I loved about hot fuzz with that was that there were scenes that were mundane, but they were shot as action scenes. Yeah, like we used to fill out paperwork. Yep, it's, it just looks like something you'd see straight out of a fucking Jerry Bruckheimer movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like all the, the overlays and the lens flares, and you have the heavy techno music. Yeah, yep. it's, a, it's a great sequence. Yep. And a lot of cops say like that was the most accurate part of the movie, is how much paperwork is done in that film. 
Because yep. you do so much paperwork as a cop. I think you have to do like, what, like five pages of paperwork just if you pull out your gun, you have to do five pages of paperwork or some Oof, shit. Like something maybe even, like maybe that. like ten or twenty, like a ridiculous amount. Yeah, like there's a lot of paperwork you have to do when you're a cop. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, well, it's got to be boring as fuck. Yeah, um, but but you got to make it fun. I guess. But the way the way he shot it was just like so genius. It's like, oh, you think cops getting or get all get in all this action? Yeah, this is the action they get into. This is uh, what it's like. Yeah. <laughs> this is and the so, reality. It's um, really fun. I, I love love that one. And like back to the back to the fucking point. It's like. Um, I, I, even though I have problems with last night in Soho, as do you, um, it's, Mm -hmm. I always super fucking appreciate it when a director steps out of his comfort zone like that. Cause he's known Mm -hmm. as a very comedic upbeat. He has that, he has that kind of distinct style where it's comedic upbeat. Um, you know, it's got some heart to it. Uh, Mm -hmm. very, very visually interesting, and now he's like almost reinventing himself to try, you know, going into something a little bit more dark and serious. Mm-hmm. And I always really, really appreciate when a when a guy who's known for one thing does that. Um, yeah, you know, um, there's one. Uh, I don't know if I should talk about it right now, or if you want to talk about another director yourself who no you no you go for it man i think we've covered enough of the movie you who do you want to talk about uh hold on let me i have my own i have my own list written here actually hold the thought i need to run to the washroom all right well i'm gonna drink my my fucking beer you know what while i'm away uh why don't you plug more of your channel all right sounds good all right um so uh Yes, I am Mad Mike. Hey, fucks. Uh, we are, uh, I am the guy who runs the channel by the name of Mad Mike. Um, YouTube.com slash C slash Mad Mike one, if I'm not mistaken. Or you can just type Mad Mike in the YouTube search bar and look for. Oscar the Grouch, only Oscar the Grouch is gray with red eyes and is talking into a radio mic. Um, you'll find him eventually. And um, I also have a uh, another channel called Dem Boys Watch Movies. Um, and that is a place where myself and my buddies Donnie and Eric get together to do movie commentaries. And I post the highlight, the highlights of those commentaries on that channel and uh you know i fill them up with memes fill them up with a bunch of shit and uh another thing we're doing is uh this month we are counting down our top 10 simpsons episodes Uh, i don't know when that's coming out uh we're splitting it into two parts because holy fuck we had a lot to say and uh i can't wait for that to come out and in february as well we have uh a commentary highlight vid of the 2000 movie Valentine starring David Boreanaz and Dave uh, Denise Richards. David Boreanaz, of course, is a legend on Dem Boys Watch Movies uh, because Eric loves him. Fuck's uh, sake. Probably a little I've too much. Never seen anybody love David Boreanaz that much. <laughs> I didn't uh, even know you could even do that. I had to look him up like, 
I know this guy looks familiar. I went, oh, it's that guy from Bones? Yeah, and Angel and uh, wow, Buffy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, that's really funny. <laughs> so it's uh, it's become a meme on our channel, and uh, I decided we, we needed a movie for uh, Valentine's, and I'm just like, I got it. The movie is called Valentine. <laughs> it is starring David Boreanaz. Oh, uh, so good. And uh, Just have like a compilation of Eric thirsting <laughs> over. Yep. And uh, hey, it's, you know, it's either Arnold or David Boreanaz highlight videos. And so, so yeah, that's Dumb Boys Watch Movies. Uh, you can, I don't know if it'll, if you'll find it in the search bar just yet, but uh if you have trouble finding it, you can find it on my Instagram. That's Instagram.com slash Mad Mike of Metal. Um, I post things from that channel all the time. And uh, Yarp. So that mm. is uh, all the, the Mad Mike stuff. Um, also on my channel, I have a review of Battle Beast, their new album, and uh, Comeback Kid, their new album, coming out either tomorrow or Saturday. I haven't quite finished editing it yet. And uh, I also have a Seth Putnam episode of keeping tabs um of course keeping tabs is kind of like my my uh, main s- flagship series on my channel and um you know i've done one episode on morbid angels altars of madness did the other one on metallica's black album this one i'm doing something a little bit different it's uh seth putnam of the band anal cunt that is the name of it that's the name of the band uh and he was a fascinating fascinating human being that's the one I'm most excited for. In the, I'm so excited for that next for episode. All the fucking wrong reasons. A, it's it's probably gonna get me demonetized before I am I'm even monetized. And uh, yeah, so that's all the Mad Mike stuff that you got to look forward to. And um, yeah, let's continue on. So where were we? We were talking about directors. You're gonna mention a director who stepped mm-hmm. out of his comfort zone. Yes, uh, I'm gonna. Have some more beer. Yeah, do that. Ooh, I took this out of the fridge too early. Damn. Okay. Oh. I'll have to live with that. Um, <laughs> pretty bad when I'm using liqueur as a as a chaser. Yeah, the chaser. That yeah, that, oh, that's real smart. Chase that Coors yeah. with liqueur. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna regret that. But uh, and I'm. Yeah, suffer for your art. Yeah. And uh the the other so the other one I wanted to talk about and this is one that I've always super appreciated was um John Carpenter, one of my favorite directors. Uh mm-hmm. he is a top 10 director for me anyway. Um mm-hmm. fucking legend. He's made so many fucking great movies. Uh Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween. Um, the, the thing, which is a fucking masterpiece, uh, the fog, great movie, um, escape from New York, big trouble in little China. Of course they live, um, in in the mouth of madness. The guy has made so much good shit in his life. He's a badass composer too. Oh, fuck. Yeah. He's like, what what was he like? 80? He's uh 75, I think. 75. And he's released a couple albums. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's the great thing about the new Halloween movies, whether you love them or hate them. At least now we have new music from John Carpenter because mm-hmm. he's a genius. Yeah, and he makes great music. Genius composer, genius director, and um, you know one of my favorite <laughs> filmmakers 
of all time. And mm-hmm. um, the movie that is on his resume, but is it's not as talked about. And I feel like it's because it's so it's such a step out of left field for him was Starman. Uh, sorry, Starman. Um, this was a movie released in 1984. It's starring uh, Jeff Bridges mm-hmm. and um, Karen Allen of uh, Indiana Jones fame. And Jeff Bridges stars as a, as an alien who crash landed on Earth. And um, where he crash lands, it's somewhere in like Wisconsin or like like a midwestern state or something like that. I can't remember exactly something where. Something with a lot of there's a lot of like flannel. I remember. Yeah. From what <laughs> like I've a, seen of the movie, there's a lot of flannel. Um, and I remember. Uh, it was uh. He crashed, like this alien crash lands on, like, in some middle of nowhere state on a farm. And he, this alien makes its way to um, Karen Allen's character's house. And uh, it needs to assume a form. It needs to assume a human form just to blend in and everything. And uh, he, f- this alien starts looking through a family book and then is seeing um is seeing on the TV screen uh, uh like home movies of this Jeff Bridges guy and then you you see Karen Allen laying on the ground laying on the floor with like you know alcohol all over the freaking place and it turns out like this Jeff Bridges character was her husband who had passed away like recently or something like that and you know, this alien is looking through the, like, the, a family photo album and then finds a piece of her husband's hair that I guess she kept, and it's in the album. And he, the alien used that DNA to assume this, assume, like, the form of her dead husband. And, of course, mm-hmm. when she awakens, she sees it, and it's just like, what? Like, of course, <laughs> that's kind of fucking... It's kind of a shit show. And, yeah, um, that would, they'll kind of throw you for a loop. Yeah. And, you know, and then as uh, the movie goes on, she gets to know this alien and just like, who's assuming <laughs> the form of her <laughs> fucking dead husband. And they get to know each other as they're traveling to Arizona. And like, you know, she realizes, no, this alien's completely fucking harmless. He just wants to get back home. And it's so heartfelt. It's almost like a, um, it's almost like a love story playing out. And that is not where, and that is not John Carpenter's strong point. Science fiction, science fiction is definitely. So he's, it's a little bit familiar with him, but when it comes to, um, like, something really touching and mature and heartfelt, it's like, it's not something that you're used to from that because you're used to really dark, pessimistic. This is, like this is the guy that pioneered the slasher genre. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't like sure like he didn't invent it, but it was his movie Halloween that set the formula mm-hmm. 
from which how every slasher movie since has been oh, yeah. based on. Yeah. He he was one of like between t- between him and uh Toby Hooper um with uh Texas Chainsaw and whatnot. Yeah, and, and before that there was even like Peeping Tom from 63 and then there was mm-hmm. even Psycho. You could look through and then never mind all the Jalo films from the 60s mm-hmm. and 70s. Mhm. But like oh, yeah. John Carpenter, you don't look at a guy like that and think, "Oh yeah, he could do a touching romantic story about two people." Yeah. And oh. um and it's so funny because um like in literally one part of the movie, Karen Allen's character like the they eventually like kind of fall for each other in a way and it doesn't feel weird at all. It feels natural and it feels and she literally says, kiss me and tell me you love me. And in any other fucking movie, that would be so fucking corny mm-hmm. and so fucking like, oh, really weird. Yeah. So fucking like, am I watching the fucking notebook here or something like that? Yeah. Like I know in Blade Runner, there's a scene like that. And I went, oh, this is not working for me at all. Yeah. Man. <laughs> but you, you can't do that. But in this movie, it works because... Again, he is an alien who doesn't know mm-hmm. English, and mm-hmm. she's trying to like you know teach this guy how to teach this alien how to be fucking human. Mm-hmm. So it it totally makes sense. It's like okay, that that's that was really fucking clever to uh, disguise yeah. your your shitty writing, but make it sound good. <laughs> <laughs> that's the mark of a genius, right there. Yeah, um, and I'm sure they only got him to direct that movie because. I mean, Halloween at that point, it was the most successful indie film ever. Mm-hmm. So, and, okay, this guy can make money, but really, he, uh, but he took it and he did a decent job with it. And I guess he, yeah. maybe he took it because he wanted to try something different from horror. Yeah. And well, know. what, what happened was, um, he, after, cause the thing was again great movie fucking classic mm-hmm. it's a masterpiece but at the time it was a critical and financial flop yeah nobody liked that movie <laughs> and it was we don't know why it, it, i probably because of bad timing because it was released not too long after et which was this very um. very upbeat very um <clears throat> very wholesome heartfelt yeah movie about aliens whereas this one was super cynical no one wanted to see that yeah nobody was people yeah at that time everybody was all into everybody was open to aliens but yeah the thing that's a movie that took it to like the polar opposite it's like aliens are horrific there are some things out there we don't want here it's very lovecraftian without even being lovecraft and it was so hated at the time in fact it was it was a remake obviously of the the thing from another world Mm -hmm. the the original the director of the original hated it (laughs) thought thought it was a piece of shit and like like so like john carpenter like he couldn't fucking win with that movie of course things have changed it's a fucking masterpiece yeah it was it was then and people were just wrong. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and like, it's a masterpiece and it's a classic now. Um, mm-hmm. But because of that, because it was such a flop, he kind of, work kind of dried up for him. Um, <laughs> and he basically just started being a director for hire. 
Um, that's how he got Christine the next year, which is a very fucking underrated movie. That's, I know. Uh, I forget, but yeah, that's such a great, that's a great thrill, little thriller. Mm-hmm. And, um, then, you know, they had somebody else in mind. I can't remember who, but then John Carpenter was signed on for Starman and, it was a script and a movie completely out of, not completely out of left field for him because obviously, like, he, it's still sci-fi, so that's still somewhat in his wheelhouse. Of course, mm-hmm. he's all he's also a fucking big sci-fi guy with uh, Escape from New York. Um, the thing obviously was sci-fi. They live as sci-fi um, mm-hmm. and uh, stuff like that. But um, you know, this was a heartfelt emotional like love story of a movie and in my opinion he fucking hit it out of the park and it was so it's it's not my favorite from him but it's like the one i appreciate the most maybe okay maybe not the most but one that i really 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 fucking appreciate more than i would most of his projects because it was so it was so out of his wheelhouse. It was so out of left field for him. And it showed that, okay, he's got, he's got more than just a couple of talents. This guy can make a very, he can go full Spielberg if he fucking wants to. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Cause at, at the time Spielberg was like this, the wholesome fucking, you know, everything he did was really sentimental and all that. And like, it's okay. Oh, you're going to beat me with E.T. there, Spielberg? Well, I can do that, too, and make it more uh, adult. I will counter that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hold on that real quick. Just one second. Because I can chug my beer too quick. So I have to go again. Oh, boy. You know what? I'm going to go, too. Sorry. Sorry, what? I'm going to go, too. All right, cool. <laughs> This is perfect timing. I only just got back. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was um. Yeah. But uh, I will say this. Uh, speaking of horror directors who went different route, I told you about this earlier. I made a list of directors that I found went the other way, tried to step out of the wheelhouse, mm-hmm. and two names came up. Came up. Yeah. Uh, these were guys that got their start. Not really this they got the start in horror and made steps out of way. Um Wes Craven mm-hmm. was one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Last Health and Else and Life. I mean every anybody who knows anything about horror knows Wes Craven's mm-hmm. work. Yeah. But the guy made a lot of rom coms. The guy you could see like there was like kind of this want to kind of get away from horror. And most of his horror films he was kind of making fun of horror and so you kind of wonder did he ever want to be a master of horror because he maybe (laughs) wanted to do other movies yep well uh if you watch i don't know if you were going to get to this point but if you watch uh if you watch scream three um Mm -hmm. a uh uh, what was i going to say uh the director of stab three in that movie is uh he is uh how would i say it he makes this he says this line it's like 
all I wanted to do was a romantic movie. But the studio oh said, God, but the studio said, I have to make a scary movie first. And, um, <laughs> oh my it, God, it, uh, that's him. Yeah. It was basically a, uh, a reference to Wes Craven himself when he, uh, when he couldn't, um, uh, he couldn't do that at the beginning of his career and he started making horror and he just became known as the horror guy. Yeah, he was known as the he was branded the master of horror, and he couldn't escape it. Like mm-hmm. even in a the Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back movie, they uh, go onto the set of like Miramax, and they're filming a Scream movie, and it's a it's a monkey that's the killer, and Wes is there as himself, and the actress goes, "Really, Wes? You're not even trying with these twists anymore." He goes, "What? People like monkeys." But another example of someone who got to start in horror, uh, like two more people got to start in horror and then went into bigger sense. I had more success stepping out is like Sam Raimi and Peter Jackson. Mm-hmm. Because at the time, you know, that because at that time, the whole reason they made horror films is because it was easier to get distribution. Yeah, it was cheaper and you could turn you could make a profit. So Peter Jackson and Sam Raimi, they both made horrifically gory, over-the-top mm-hmm. horror films. And then Peter Jackson does his Lord of the Rings movies. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of Lord of the Rings movies, but <laughs> they kind of made yeah. some money. And then Sam Raimi also got access to Spider-Man mm-hmm. and a whole bunch of other movies. Oh, yeah. But and they then... still both kind of, even though they're both went like bigger and like bigger with the budgets and these yeah. blockbusters you can still feel the style like yeah. the horror touches like in spider-man 2 you have the hospital scene it's so scary even to this day it kind of terrifies me you have green goblin beating up like the first spider-man still scares me there's a lot of jump scares and like freaky moments as a kid's actually kind of horrifying mm-hmm. with the green goblin so, like, Sam Raimi, he can't help himself. He's a twisted man. So yeah. you still feel that, that Raimi horror throughout. And Peter Jackson, well, with Lord of the Rings, like, you feel yeah. the grittiness and the weirdness of it all. Mm-hmm. But they just, you know, they stepped out and they wanted to do what they were really passionate about. Sam Raimi's a big comic book guy. He wanted to make Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. You know, he only made horror because he could make money back. Same with Peter Jackson. He's a massive dork. He wanted <laughs> to make uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy and he did yep so it's weird it's funny seeing these directors who like they a lot of horror directors you can really see like they you know they want to do more mm-hmm. but they have this reputation as horror and some people can't escape that and only mm-hmm. so few are able to actually step past it and say no i want to do other genres mm-hmm. my way yeah and another fucking well to comment on that like i actually the first sam raimi property i watched was actually the spider-man movies so like i Me knew too. him i knew him first as the the spider-man guy um and of course he crushed it on the well the first two anyway the third one like the studio just kind of fucked him up the ass on that one but uh they did and, and, <laughs> they really uh, did 
You know, we need you to use Venom. Use Venom. Use Venom. Venom, Venom. And then yeah. all that shit happened. And, um, I still enjoy that movie. But I do recognize, man, it could have been it could have been much better if they just yeah. gave him space. Yeah, and um, and you know it, his Evil Dead stuff, obviously, great stuff. It's groovy, of course. Um, groovy, and uh, it it um, and now they're you know remaking all this fucking shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Although I I didn't mind the Evil Dead remake, it's still like okay, yeah. It's I didn't mind same. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't seen I haven't seen it yet. Um, I saw the director like Fetty Alvarez. He, I saw his Don't Breathe, and I really enjoyed it. I may mm-hmm. watch, so I may watch the Evil Dead remake. It's just Sam Raimi. He approaches horror so differently. He has. I talked all about it in my last episode. Like he just he makes horror, comedy films disguised as horror films, essentially, because mm-hmm. he's such a weirdo. Yeah. Um. But I know. But earlier you were mentioning you mentioned Steven Spielberg. Okay, that's a guy. Almost every time he makes a movie, he steps out of his comfort zone. Yeah. All he, the time. Like he most he'll do two. Like he did two Alien movies. Then he did two World War, World War Two movies. Then yeah. he made a movie about a giant. Then he made a Cold War drama. Then he made a, like two lighthearted movies. Like there's the Terminal and Catch Me If You Can. Like the guy you mm-hmm. can't really. Then he made dinosaur movies. <laughs> like yeah, you can't if 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 someone asks if like if you asked um, someone like describe what genre does Spielberg do? It's like I don't know. He yeah. kind of does all of it all at once every time he makes a movie. Hey, he he started with a horror movie, Jaws. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Jaws uh, and Duel. Those are two thrillers with these big forces. Yeah, and then holy uh, shit, you're right. Oh my god, horror directors spread. You're right. Yeah. There's a bigger thing at play here. Yeah, and uh, what I and then he goes into sci-fi with Close Encounters, which is one of his more underrated ones nowadays. Um. Mm-hmm. And then his Indiana Jones stuff, like the guy. I could forgot about much... Indiana Jones. Yeah, he yeah. did. <laughs> Fuck me, this I, guy does. He does everything. I literally mentioned Indiana Jones when I was I know, talking but about. I, for, I forget that he directed Indiana Jones. Yeah. You see what I mean? Like he's so yep. everywhere. You forget that he. It's all the same guy. Yep, and it's so insane. Jurassic Park and fucking, of course, Schindler's List. Uh, so he he's kind of like one of those that kind of steps out of it all the fucking time. But um, yeah, he's a he's a jack of all trades. He can kind of just do anything. One guy that uh, we haven't talked about yet, and I had thought about it as I was walking out of the bathroom, and I looked at my movie shelf, and I'm like, oh yeah, why didn't I think of that until now? You idiot! And that is James Cameron, because he was. Oh my, yeah, he is like the action director to end all action directors. Um, of course, mm-hmm. Terminator, Aliens, Terminator <laughs> 2, True Lies, those are all action classics. Um, True Lies is a fucking awesome movie. <laughs> it fucking is. I wish James Cameron would make more movies like True Lies mm-hmm. instead of making seven Avatar movies. Yeah, and then, after all those great action movies... He's got Titanic. 
which <laughs> I will argue is actually a fucking. It is definitely a. It's. It it does have that love story element big time, but I will argue is a disaster movie disguised as a love story. It is, um, and if you look actually, and of course. He steps out of his fucking wheelhouse and he makes up three billion dollars and wins mm-hmm. every Oscar on the fucking planet and yeah, fucking <laughs> he's yeah. Like... I, I was I was watching I was watching an episode of Entourage where because he uh, there's a whole ar- story arc on that show where he plays himself he directs Aquaman yep and there's an episode <laughs> the episode where he first shows up he uh, was asked by a woman. Um, so when you directed Titanic, was that, was the crashing of the ship foreshadowing the crash of this, of the, uh, the tech market in the year 2000? And he goes, and he replies, no, I just wanted to make teenage girls cry. There you <laughs> go. It's the funniest scene <laughs> ever. But then there's another scene later. It's so Cameron and it's so on brand where he's. Got like a green screen with the main character and all that. And one of the characters asks him, wow, we won't really need uh, locations. He goes, in five years, we won't need actors. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> but it's so like, that's exact. That's what he's been doing. He's, yep. He's been the last like 10, 15 years researching. Okay. What can I push technologically what what can we dig and how can i go further with it he's like like no what nolan like christopher nolan does with practical effects like what can i actually do for real james cameron goes what can i do that looks real yeah but isn't (laughs) yeah and holy like and (laughs) it's so funny to me like how basically that like again He'll always be the Terminator 2 director to me. Like, that mm-hmm. is his fucking masterpiece. Yeah, of course, the I first remember, one, too. I remember watching that movie when I was, like, eight years old, and I thought, this is the day I become a man. <laughs> yep. So, to be fair, I said the same thing when I watched the first RoboCop when I was, like, oh, five. Oh, fucking movie's great. But it's still. <laughs> um, Those movies, they're, like, interconnected. In the same, I hold them in the same regard. <laughs> oh, man. Like, uh, and, but for titanic that was basically like he <laughs> he didn't have to fucking work a day in his life after that no. um in well, some he, in some <laughs> he spent the next he spent the next 10 years making avatar yeah and... <laughs> that's what he did he did research all right i want to make a movie all in 3d how do i make this the hardest movie to make yeah and, and now made... it's they made more money, more money than what was already the highest grossing movie of all time. Yep. And I don't like either movie, but I respect him for the hustle and yeah. how he just comes through and he just does that. Yeah. You, you can't touch him. Nope. And uh, what was there was another um, there was another one I was thinking of. Um Maybe it'll come to me later. Uh, another one that just kind of did his own thing every single fucking time. Like, he had no fucking wheelhouse was Stanley Kubrick. Uh, like, yeah. literally, he has one sci-fi movie that's 2001. And then he has his period drama with just Barry Lyndon. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one horror movie, The Shining. 
mm-hmm. a couple a couple war movies, Full Metal Jacket, um, Pass the Glory, Pass the Glory, Doctor Strange Love. That's Strange his comedy. Kind of like a farce. On <laughs> it's a comedy. That's his um, comedy movie. And then his other uh, comedy movie is A Clockwork Orange, which is a weird thing to say. Am I wrong in mm-hmm. saying that A Clockwork Orange feels like the greatest Monty Python movie never made? I can a futuristic Monty Python movie yeah, when, maybe but when you but watch like, when you watch that movie and you look at the framing and you look at how the dialogue's delivered it feels like a British comedy like a fucked up almost. British comedy Okay, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, because yeah, I'm thinking it's, about it, it. I remember I can remember the exact well Malcolm <laughs> McDowell himself said it was a comedy but nobody was ready for it cuz they're focused on the horrific parts. But I remember the exact moment it's when he, it's when Alex goes to prison yes and he's getting the cavity search and it's this wide of like the cop yelling at him between his legs and then you go bang 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 and the dialogue's so fast-paced and i looked at my mom who's sitting next to me she didn't let me watch this movie for years i looked to her and i went this is a comedy this is not what the hell am i watching i wanted to laugh just then is what the fuck is this movie and because that cop's over the that cop's accent and his voice was so over the fucking top. Everything's over the top, but th- <laughs> I, that was I, the moment it clued in, and I went, what the fuck? This is not a drama. This is not serious. What is this? <laughs> because, like, I remember he was, like, going through questions with uh, Alex DeLarge, the, the character, and the cop was like, are you now? Oh, have you ever been a homosexual? <laughs> yes! <laughs> it's the... the- it's so ridiculous. I went, this is not real. This is a Monty Python skit. This is the most elaborate prank ever pulled. Like, it's Terry, like, is Stanley Kubrick an anagram for a pseudonym for Terry Gilliam? That would explain so much. Oh my god, yeah, that, that, that part to me was just so fucking hilarious. The way, like, that cop... Like, it was so over the fucking top. And he even yeah. looked like he came straight out. He almost looked like John Cleese. Like, uh... Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, uh, everybody in the movie was so over the top. Like, the uh, the guy who, at the beginning, he and his wife were abused, attacked by Alex. Then later, he's giving him a home to live in. And he gives this, mo- this like, he delivers lines. And as the actor describes it, he feels like he was taking a shit. <laughs> The whole time he's delivering the lines, and he's thinking, I don't think, I think this performance is horrible. But Stanley Kubrick said, that is exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah. So, like, he he was making a comedy the whole time, but nobody was ready for it. If that movie came out today, it would be a comedic masterpiece and, like, heralded. Yeah. But back then, nobody was ready for what was for what it had. Nobody was yeah. ready for that kind of movie. Yeah. And, uh, of course, like... There's a lot of stuff in that movie that's like object, like not objectively funny. Like the rape scene will bother a lot of fucking people. Yeah. Um, which, of course. Which, to be fair. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Not every. But the way it's like Roger Ebert had this quote: "It's not what it's about; it's how it's about it." Yeah. Pretty much. And. and it's the most bizarre scene in cinema. And you know it's the way so you look weird. The way you look at it, it's almost like it's like the whole movie is from Alex's point of view, almost. Uh, yeah. And he's a complete fucking psycho, a complete yes. fucking sociopath. Of course, a sociopath is going to look at this as fucking hilarious. Joyous and fun. Yeah. Like, like 
fucking breaking into someone's house and raping their fucking wife is hilarious to him. It yeah. sounds fucking cool. He's a messed up kid. It's even more messed up when like he's supposed to be like what 13 in the original book or mm. 14. Like yeah, he's a child. Mm-hmm. In the in the novel, like it's really messed up. The movie is actually more tasteful than the novel in that regards. Yeah. Where it took some like, yeah, you know what? He's a bit of a he's a young man. Yeah. Um. um but uh, I, I just. Oh <laughs> uh, well, and there was another movie Kubrick made that was in the tone of a comedy, but nobody was fucking ready for. Still not to this day, and that was Lolita. I don't know if you've heard of that one. I have heard of that. That was his first movie, right? It was... No, it was his, like, four, fifth or fourth movie. I can't remember, but it was, like... Uh, let's actually, no. I'll count. Fear and Desire was one. And Killer's Kiss. The Killing. Um, Paths of Glory. And then it oh, was... Oh, I forgot uh, about The Killing. And then it was Spartacus. So this was his. I forgot about Spartacus too. Jesus Christ! Yeah, the guy's done everything. Yeah, and then he did uh, Lolita, which was a movie about uh, like older a, guy and the young girl, right? Uh, yeah, like a, a middle aged man um, who marries this woman his same age. Only so he can stay close to her daughter, who yes, is I like... Know, yeah, and she has like the heart-shaped sunglasses, right? And she's like yep. 16, 15? 16 in the movie. In mm. the book, she was 12. Of uh, course. Yikes. And uh, It's and so I, weird what books can get away with that movies can't. And I'm watching... <laughs> I still, like, I've watched it a couple times because I really like to, like... Every once in a while, just like go through an entire director's filmography, mm-hmm. like just watch it and just be like, you know, that's that's it's something I like doing. But um, yeah, and I watch that every time I watch it, I just got this look on my face, like uh, that's how I feel every time I watch. This. That's how I feel like every Kubrick movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Okay, this no, this is no. Yeah, I can't like, do. Am I gonna get arrested for just watching this movie? Like it, it was almost like the 1962 version of Cuties. Like I don't know if you heard oh, of that. Oh, fucking god, god. no! That's oh. a, a that's a movie we need to forget about. Um, but, oh, why uh, would you bring that up? <laughs> I was so much happier forgetting about it. Oh god! Oof. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, it's it's not good. Uh, but uh, it, it was point is kubrick yeah he very versatile yeah surprisingly it wasn't until you put oh man when you put it it wasn't until you put it out that way i had to stop and think yeah he is also somebody who likes steve bielberg well because the two of them they were like close friends and mm-hmm. good colleagues and that's how yep. ai got made yep because and it was so funny because they those two envied each other a lot um, yeah kubrick he wanted to be the family the crowd pleaser that uh spielberg was and spielberg always wanted to be the art house risk risk taker yep and so, I mean, if you watch that movie ai what you have is the overlapping yeah of, of the two guys. styles you have and... kubrick's writing writing a movie that spielberg would make and then spielberg directing a movie the way kubrick would direct it yeah but he just he couldn't do it because he just wasn't stanley kubrick no but it was stanley 
because he was a weird guy. But it, in the same way, Kubrick wrote that strip, that script because he was trying to be Spielberg. But he's even, not Spielberg. But he wasn't he Spielberg. Just wasn't Spielberg. Like yeah, no, it's it, it's not like both. They're both geniuses of their own ways, and it's, they were they were their things. It, it's uh, you know. Um, I'm it's like the fucking... expression, put a lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. Yep. You'd apply that uh, to both guys. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like that. And like, you know, I, I encounter that and we encounter that, like, you know, since we're in the in the uh, entertainment industry officially now, um, yeah. you know, like uh, Red Letter Media, my favorite fucking channel, they are the reason I am on fucking YouTube. Yeah. And I have <laughs> tried... Jade. Jay Bauman's the reason I watch weird movies. (laughs) And I have tried to make videos like Red Letter Media, but I am not Red Letter Media. Like, I'm just not. Um, Yeah, no. I like to think that I've found my own style now, but it's like, okay, stop trying to be Mr. Plinkett. You're not Mr. Plinkett. Yeah, just be your own thing. Be be Mad Mike. Yeah, there's uh, nothing wrong with having influence, but, you know, you, you do have to find your own voice. It takes a while. It took me a while to find my own voice, too. Because uh, if you watch my, my Terminator 3 review, it's a fucking, oh. it's a Plinket video. <laughs> yeah, I remember you did a project in editing class that was <laughs> that was pretty much just Mr. Plinket. <laughs> was, oh, I, when, what was, it was, uh... Uh, when I talked about cliches in movies or something like that. Yes. Yes. And yeah, I basically had that same fucking voice like uh, this. Uh. <laughs> and uh... this is a quick side note. I ran a D and D campaign recently, and the main villain was just Mr. Plinkett. I'm ki- I'm not even joking. He starts out like just the Rich Evans version, where he's like, "Ah, oh, you hit my groin." But when he becomes a monster, like Pennywise, he he goes, "Oh, why'd you do that?" Because oh. my or, uh... friend Preston, who played in it, he got me into regular media, so I threw nice. that in there. It's like, hey, you know, it's be fun. Um... And... <laughs> but uh, you know what? Even. You remember the Casablanca video I did? Uh, yes, yes. With uh, I, who was who did I do that with? It was, it was uh, with uh, it was with Miranda and Randy. Miranda, yeah, yeah, it was. Um, and like I, I because they took it seriously, and I did the Mister Plinkett shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> it was it was fun, and everyone fucking loved it. And I was well, like, you guys you know, had. You guys had the best presentation by <laughs> they, far. They, but it, I felt like so like, oh God, I felt like I fucked them over because they, they did it. They took it more seriously. Whereas I just basically just went well, full it, on. But that's what made it funnier. Yep. That's what made it better. See? And then Crow, even Crow loved it. And Crow, like, he doesn't, he He's usually doesn't. Fun. one. He's a weird one. Crow, if, I, if I you're... I could never get a read on that guy. If, if Crow, if you're ever listening to this, you you are a magnificent bastard. Uh, just yeah, like... and I want to I wanna listen to you talk about Japanese cinema again. <laughs> yeah. Miss that. Italian uh, neorealism. And, uh, yeah. Else, yeah. So, I have another... So, on the, on the topic of uh, directors stepping out of genre... Yeah, we were we, talking about that, right? Yeah, for a while we were talking about... Um, you know, horror directors going outside of horror. I found one example of like uh, someone who 
that isn't a horror director has been making the step into horror, and that's uh-huh. Kevin Smith. I was oh yeah, it. yeah. So Kevin Smith, you know, does Clerks and Mallrats, and Ugh. all those movies. Um, basically, like the like '90s rom coms for nerds. That's yeah. how I describe him. Yeah. He then made Tusk and Red State, and right now he's doing a. He directed a segment on an anthology film called Holidays, and now he's doing a new anthology horror film himself called Kilroy is Here. Yeah. Kilroy was here. And so he's been making the step into horror filmmaking mm-hmm. and trying to make weirder movies. Yeah. I unfortunately have not seen these new, like, Red Seder Tusk, no matter how much I want to. I haven't. My- seen them either and from what i've heard i am not missing out uh from what i heard from what i've heard now i'm a i'm a diehard kevin smith fan and from diehard kevin smith fans it's worth watching but i just i want to see it from just like okay i need to be i need to see this what he does Mm -hmm. because it sounds interesting like i love body horror i love weird horror movies and i want to see what kevin smith does Mm -hmm. the problem is nobody's streaming it so i either have to buy it on blu-ray Mm-hmm. Or wait until eventually it just shows up on Netflix. But yeah. there was another one he made. I can't. What was it? It was like in 2016 or something like that. Oh, was uh, it Yoga he, Hosers? Yeah, because I remember I saw him at. Uh, we went to his like uh, his comedy show. I think it was with uh, Jason Muse at Comic Con that year. It was oh, myself, wow. myself, Donnie, and his wife, and um, <clears throat> he promoted that movie, and I was like. Is that a horror movie or something like that or something? It, yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but it, it according to, in his own words, it's a mistake. <laughs> it, it, in his own word, like I, I, I stress that enough. He quoting him, like I remember I was watching the show of movie fights where it was him, Elijah Wood, and and doing like debate club, but for movies, mm-hmm. and um. They did this one thing, and Elijah Wood, he chose a very obscure choice, and he goes, how do I defend a movie that nobody's ever seen? And then Kevin goes, I did it for a whole year with yoga hosers. Go right ahead. <laughs> oh, my God. And the, a- actually, actually, no, even better one, and I'll let you can continue, but when he had his heart attack, he said that he was accepting of his death, but he realized, if I die, the last movie I've ever made is yoga hosers. I can't let that happen. <laughs> So he, he's like, I need to live. I can make one more movie. Yep. It, it would be like uh, uh, Lou Reed. Um, the last album he ever made was Lulu with Metallica. <laughs> <sighs> or uh, yeah. what was Bob Kane. Uh, the last Batman movie he saw before he died was Batman, was Batman and Robin. <laughs> That's probably what killed him. I don't know. But. Yeah. You know what's funny? Because of because he died at that at that time, and I say this, I defend I have an original Val Kilmer piece of art yeah. in my room. And whenever it comes up and people talk about Val Kilmer, I go, Hey, you know what? Bob Kane said that the most accurate Batman he ever saw was Val Kilmer. Yep. The most accurate Bruce Wayne Batman was Val Kilmer, according to him. Yep. So it's uh, like, you know what? Take that for what it is. Yep. And, uh, like, yeah, that, that would that would really suck if, like, 
you die and the last project you ever make is like the it's just something you fucking hate yeah <laughs> uh, i saw somebody they did a review on transformers 2 like the michael bay one and i said fun fact this is the last movie that michael jackson's had before he died hmm. this is this movie killed the king of pop I don't know if it's true because it was like an old video, and I'm pretty sure it's just a farce. But well, it's a... the the timelines match up because he died right around that time that movie came out, so the yeah. timelines do match up. Uh, so he just, so I just love he made this blank statement. This movie killed the King of Pop. <laughs> but then again, it came out around the same time as Terminator Salvation, so it might have been that one. I don't know. That's like, true. Uh, yeah. So or when he <laughs> saw the trailer and it ruined the whole movie. The big plot twist is in the fucking trailer. Yeah. Trailers need to be 30 seconds and not a second longer. You know, they they, trim that shit down. They fucking did that with Terminator 2 as well. They fucking ruined the movie in the trailer. Because if you if you watch T2, the way they're setting it up, it's like you don't know which one is trying to kill John Connor until they meet in that hallway. Yeah. (laughs) It's a tense beginning and but and the trailer and, and it's such a good tw- and it would have been such it would have been such a memorable fucking plot twist too mm-hmm. it would have it would have gone down as like the sixth sense or planet of the apes kind of plot twist yeah if because it wasn't for that fucking trailer <laughs> i know because you even have the bad guy dressed as a cop yep and you even <laughs> have arnold returning and he's dressed like a bad old biker and you watch him kill people like a whole bunch yeah. of people, he brutalizes them. So you're wondering, like, uh, this, this, but then boom, and it hits you. I remember watch, last time I watched it, it clued in. I went, you know what? This is actually kind of a plot twist. Yeah, but the trailer was literally same make, same model, new mission, protect Ugh. the future. And to my knowledge and if you fucking listen to James Cameron's commentary in it like he sounds so pissed when he's talking about the twist because you yeah. know he's just like you know he had no control over the trailer yeah. and it's like oh and he sounded so he sounds so pissed yeah <laughs> that it was ruined in the fucking trailer yeah I would um, be too yeah they, you say what you will about J.J. Abrams they should hire him just to make trailers for big movies now yeah, because he doesn't give anything away. No. He rarely ever does. You um, watch any trailer for a J.J. Abrams movie, you have no idea what it's about. <laughs> yeah. And then you watch the movie, and you have no idea what it's about. But, like... That's uh, true, because he's all about his mystery box. But... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why, See, like... That is a director who stays in his wheelhouse. Yeah. He loves funs, fun action movies, and he sticks with that. And that, yeah. that's admirable. And that's why my favorite trailer of all time, even though it's kind of a dated trailer now, is the trailer for the original Alien. I was about to say, I knew you were about to say that. Yeah, and, <laughs> I, I fucking, it, it, that, but that is the golden standard because for it, trailers. It doesn't give anything away, but it gives away the tone. And, and that's all that's, a movie, that's, that's all a trailer all. should do. And you're just like, whoa, this, yeah. this sounds so fucking intense. And it was, um... Yeah, I think I played that, and I think I like suggested to uh, Bill Bolin. Shout out if you ever listen to this. Yeah, um, Bill. He is big bad he Bill. Was the best fucking teacher in that whole fucking school. Um, Love him. But um, like I suggested him, like because he was talking about 
because we're our final project one year was like move a movie trailer yeah and i told him can you play the trailer for alien and he did and i was like i was probably the only one in the class who fucking paid attention because everyone else is kind of playing like some basketball game in the group chat on facebook i was uh, playing attention i was paying attention it's one of the best trailers ever made yeah. i'm that weirdo i love it i was like yes yeah. fucking alien yes give it to me <laughs> yeah and uh <laughs> i uh i loved i love that trailer and uh yeah. it's to me trailers should be like that but uh yeah speaking of ridley scott yeah there's another one like he made that's a guy who made his bones well he made his bones with the commercials yeah but he had alien then he had blade runner sci-fi yeah too yeah. big sci-fi then he made gladiator and then this movie with russell crowe called a good year which was like mm. this rich guy who goes back to his country home Mm-hmm. And it's very low scale. Then a few years later, he makes Exodus Gods and Kings, which nobody's ever heard of. Well, I've heard of it. it. Well, but it's it a giant like, bomb. It made three bucks yep. on a budget of 200 million or whatever the hell. Yep. Um, and I will say there was a movie long before that that he made that was out of his wheelhouse. And that was Thelma and Louise. He did make that movie. Yes, he did. Yeah, I for, I keep forgetting he made that. <laughs> yep. Because you look at really Scott. He's a man who does. Who's so you look at him. He's the man of like scale and yeah. scope. Yeah. That's, that's for me personally. I always found that he's he's a brilliant visual director who just doesn't get the right screenplays. <laughs> yep. It's always the scripts that's the worst part of his movies. He's On a as, technical level, he's a genius. He's as good as his scripts. He's a, <laughs> that's pretty yeah. much it. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's a master visual director. Mm-hmm. Cannot pick a good screenplay to save his life. Yeah, it, only it's a like... few times has it happened. Alien, and I don't think anything else that I've seen. Blade Runner kinda, <laughs> even though Blade Runner twenty forty nine owns it. That's my hot take. Yeah, um, I, I I completely agree. I personally, like, I went to see the original Blade Runner in a theater, mm-hmm. and it was the final cut, and I was bored out of my mind. I thought then, it looked pretty, but the story was non-existent. The characters were non-existent. Then I watched Blade Runner twenty forty nine, the first ten minutes. I thought you could the movie could end right now, and I would say it's the best movie of the year. Yeah, and, and it's a brilliant, brilliant movie. Mm-hmm. And like, and like, like Ridley Scott is—he still is a genius as in terms of visuals. Like you oh, watch, yeah. a, you watch Alien Covenant. It's a fucking gorgeous looking movie. It looks it, great. It's, it's fucking dog shit otherwise but like (laughs) uh, (laughs) the writing leaves lot to be hoped for so so gently put your mouth on the hole i'll do the fingering (laughs) (laughs) yeah no like michael fassbender being gay with michael fassbender man like (laughs) which on paper sounds amazing (laughs) yeah yes sounds like a movie i'd I'd pay lots of good money to see (laughs) Yep. Uh, but, but like, it was so, like, what the fuck is happening yeah. right now? <laughs> yeah. You know, it just occurred to me. We've talked, so we've talked a lot about directors who've stepped out of their comfort zones for the better or, like, have found good things. At least for the most part. 
I just thought of a good example of a director who stepped out of their comfort zone and didn't succeed. And it's David Lynch when he made Dune. Oof. Because we're talking about uh, Blade Runner 2049, Denis Villeneuve did the new Dune movie. Mm-hmm. I went to see it with my girlfriend, thought it was magnificent. I loved and it too. This is somebody who the only Dune experience I have is the David Lynch movie, a movie that I personally very much loathe. Oh, it's a fucking mess. I loathe. <laughs> it's because a David fucking Lynch, mess. David Lynch is one of my favorite filmmakers. What I love about him is that he's so... This is the guy who's so, like, just leaves it open. You you experience the movie. You let it wash over you. You think about it. The guy who made Eraserhead and Twin Peaks and all these other movies, that is not the same man that made Dune. A movie where voiceover tells you every single detail that's going on every sub all the subtext oh there is no subtext because it's told to you through voiceover dialogue and it's so contrived it's so boring and as i'm watching i'm thinking this is not david lynch david lynch (sighs) is stylistic he's purposeful that's a movie that feels like okay step on the mark say your line good all right, new angle, say your yeah. line. Okay, good. Yeah. Which, to be fair, Dune should not have been adapted for until recently. Yeah, and it even if it was, like, they tried condensing it into a two-hour movie, and that just turned it into a fucking editing nightmare, which yeah. if, if I'm the editor for that movie, I, I'm... I'm loading up the fucking rum and cokes like I am fucking get, yeah. drinking every fucking night and just like my career is fucking over. Yeah, Dune, <laughs> uh, like Dune, that's not a book anybody should have touched for, well, until Denis Villeneuve because now we have the technology, and he, all right, this first, all right, and, that two and a half hour movie I made, that's part one. Yeah. Part two is the other two and a half hour movie. Yep. And and, and to me, like it, it's, I he they put it in the right hands, which is a good thing because projects like that are often not left in the fucking right hands. Yeah. Like well, I, for example, I, uh, Adam Wingard for Death Note. But anyways, mm, um, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. But yeah. But well, well, David Lynch and before that, if you're familiar with the famous story, uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky, mm-hmm. who was supposed to make the original Dune, he set out to do it. Yeah. To my knowledge, David Lynch and Jodorowsky, neither one of them were really fond of the Dune book or very familiar. Yeah. They did their own versions of it, whereas Denis yeah. Villeneuve... He admired the book and only wanted to do the book. Whereas Jodorowsky, he pitched a very, I watched the documentary, a very cool sci-fi movie. But if you're a Dune fan, you would have hated it because he goes in his own weird world. And that's what, to my knowledge, David Lynch did as well. Um, Whereas Villeneuve, he was more interested in, okay, well, here's the book and I'm going to make that just the movie 
is yeah. this is the book this is mm. the story this is the whole thing yeah whereas oh yeah and um like what i, I want to touch on this since we're on the subject like mm-hmm. even though it is like a slow burn very uh character driven movie there's not a lot of like there is some action sequences in there but it's not like n- not a lot it's mm-hmm. more character driven more dialogue driven Mm-hmm. It, the pacing is still fucking amazing for a near three hour movie. It is paced it's so, so well. It's so good. I the, don't, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because I was so engaged with it because he did such a good job of getting you like attached to those characters and he did yeah. such a good job of getting you um, into the story. And, and it's so immersive. What I love about Villeneuve, when he does sci fi, he does it dirty. Like in yeah. like in Blade Runner twenty forty nine, Ryan Gosling's car, there's dust on the dashboard. Mm-hmm. There's like all this. He's like this is grimy. You feel like you could actually step into the screen and you can live yeah. in that world. That's and what Dune is. Because I remember when I watched it, I watched it with uh, Eric and uh, his girlfriend. And Eric is like a stickler for pacing too. And mm-hmm. you know he he doesn't he doesn't like getting bored when he fucking watches movies. And when the movie was over, like we both looked at each other, it was like it's already been three hours. Like, and I looked at my <laughs> phone, and I'm like, "Wow, holy fuck!" Because yeah. that was almost Thelma Schoonmaker kind of fucking pacing. Like, anyone, oh my god, yeah. Anyone yeah, that's does, like high praise, <laughs> dude. Like, and anyone who doesn't know Thelma Schoonmaker, that is the uh, that is Martin Scorsese's editor. If uh, you don't know Thelma Schoonmaker, you're not a movie fan. Exactly. But, uh, <laughs> you like, don't. <laughs> And holy, like, I just love, that was my favorite part of That's my favorite thing about the fucking movie is just how well paced it is yeah. for a three hour dialogue and character driven movie. But yeah. Yeah. And a movie that is adapting a book that has extensive lore, extensive world. <sighs> yeah. And it picks and... just the right stuff. It's so good. Like I was, a, I was, I had high hopes cause I know like, okay, if this man could make me love a Blade Runner movie. I'm sure he can make me love Dune. I'm oh, sure he, he did. <laughs> he has, like, man, this could... Fuck, man. This could be a whole other fucking topic for another fucking episode. I'd love Tricking to come up. back. I'd love to fucking come back here. But, uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. We'll just we'll just go up we'll just gorge over uh Denis Villeneuve yeah. for two uh, hours. Like, every... Like, I love everything he's done. Um... Incendie, which is his uh the last movie he made in Quebec, is fucking mm. fantastic. Emotionally exhausting, but fucking fantastic. Yeah. Enemy um, is a brilliant little thriller. Prisoners is like so much better than than it, it presents itself to be. So hard to watch. It's such and, a heavy uh, watch, but so well done. And then of course Sicario. Sicario is probably his most accessible movie. Yeah, uh, I would say. Um, Sicario. That was the first movie of his I watched, and I was in love with it. And I had to follow what this director did next. Yeah, what he did next was Arrival, which was also a masterpiece. Yeah, my favorite movie of 2016. One of my favorite movies of the decade. Uh, Yeah, fucking. And 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 also this kind of ties in because that was him stepping out of his comfort zone with sci-fi. Yeah, because he did that movie. Then he did Blade Runner, 
because no, what he he's... wanted to do was he wanted to do Dune right. So before he did that, he wanted to do a lot of big sci-fi projects so mm-hmm. he could get comfortable with the genre so he could do his passion project right. He yeah, could do and, sci-fi proper. And he can start working with like the big names, who's who of celebrities, because like when he first started out, he was working with French actors and mm-hmm. uh, and then he, you know, he got Jake Gyllenhaal for a couple of movies, but like you know, he get anybody he wants. And now, now he's got like it's all star-studded. Like every every one in the movie's a big name. Like, yeah, like if you look at Dune, the cast list is like, all right, all of these, everybody's in a comic book movie. Yep. It's I like, have Aquaman. I have Thanos. I have Mary Jane. Drax. I have, I have Drax. Yes, Drax. I have everybody in my movie. Yep, and like fucking. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård, fucking what, what, Timothy, so Timothy uh, Chalamet, 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 yeah, uh, and um, Rebecca Ferguson from the Mission Boss movie. She's a badass, and Hans Zimmer doing the music. Just he's got everybody on his side. Oscar Isaac, so brilliant, and like I, I just, I love. That, oh, I can't wait to see the second one. Like, holy fuck, he's so yeah. good. Um, but, uh, and that's, yeah, he did fucking step out of his wheelhouse and then fucking hit it out of the park three times in a row. Like, and yeah. I, I love him so much too because I'm a French Canadian like mm-hmm. him. And it's, I, I, it's such a source of pride for me that yeah. someone that one of us is actually making it really big and is like a com like probably well next to like Nolan and Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Like he's one of the who's who of directors right now. Like yeah. and it's so fucking cool for me. Like it's like it's an inspiration to me anyway, as like someone mm-hmm. in in the entertainment industry that's like <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm gonna come right back. I have to take another washroom break. Hey, I'll, I'll, uh, I'm going to ref- right I'm actually going to refill my, uh, I'm going to re I'm going to refill my, uh, my, uh, my, my amaretto and Coke. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> so I was just thinking, so. The Nathan Lennon movies, would they be considered almost, like, independent to an extent? Like, they were, yeah. were they smaller movies? They were, I remember they were released um, through, like, they were distributed through Alliance, I think, um, like, internationally anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were made, like, in Quebec, Um one of them was Polytechnic, fucking brilliant movie. Um, sorry, and it's okay. uh, <laughs> like of course, incendies, as Englishmen would say it, or insanzi, like uh, I would say mm-hmm. it. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's uh that was made in Quebec, and that actually got him nominated for best foreign language film, if I'm not mistaken, and. Um, yeah, I think they were indie projects. I'm not sure, but yeah. then, but then he got like p- 
prisoners and then like he just never looked back <laughs> yeah and he just kind of went from there yep because i bring that up because something i also noticed when i'm thinking of like directors step out of their wheelhouse there was this big trend that started i think it started with jurassic world where Hollywood started to take these directors from indie obscurity mm-hmm. and hand them control of massive like franchises, massive properties. And it wasn't just Colin Trevorrow with uh, Jurassic World. It was also John Watts with Spider-Man. Mark Webb also with Spider-Man. And recently, Chloe Zhao, who won Best Director for Nomadland... They said, hey, uh, direct uh, the new Marvel movie, Eternals. This massive, massive blockbuster. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me like uh, what they were trying to do with there is that I think Hollywood realized audiences were getting smarter Mm -hmm. and get more vocal about, yeah, these are boring. So they're trying to get like, well, let's get these indie directors that have style so we can try and inject that kind of indie style into our big movies so we can trick them into going and seeing them. Mm-hmm. Like, um, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to soak up the alcohol right now. I'm fucking <laughs> having some fucking, some fucking pizza. Oh, um, you're doing the smart thing. I'm sitting over here just, yeah. Um, oh, I'll pee it out. I won't be hung over tomorrow. Um, actually, you know where that actually started? It was actually, and this is another director who stepped out of his wheelhouse and just fucking took it and ran, Christopher Nolan. Really? It was with Batman. Oh, you're fucking right. Oh my god, you're fucking right. Because, you know, he made Memento, obviously. Great movie. Mm -hmm. Insomnia. Fantastic fucking movie and really underrated. And it was through ins- through Insomnia and Memento that Warner Brothers kind of approached him and said, like, okay, do you want to do... Or no, he he actually pitched it to Warner Brothers like he wanted to make a new Batman movie. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were hesitant at first, obviously, because Batman and Robin was a fucking train wreck. Yeah, and superhero movies were in a weird state, too. Nobody was really interested in what they yeah. were doing. And then, but then with the success of like X-Men and Spider-Man, it's like, okay, let's try this again. And then he takes Batman, does Batman Begins, and hits it out of the fucking park. Yeah. And then they realize that's like, you know, he he was a small time, you know, kind of indie, kind of art house director beforehand. And he makes this big property movie and knocks it out of the fucking park. And studios kind of looked at that and said, like, well, this is my opinion anyway. I'm not saying this is exactly what happened, (laughs) but I feel like studios just kind of looked at that and were like, you know what? Let's find another Christopher Nolan and let's get another Batman Begins. Yeah, well, he changed the landscape. Since then, every superhero movie is trying to be darker and grittier Mm -hmm. and more realistic. But mm-hmm. you know, now that you bring that up, now that I think about it, they kind of did the same thing with the first big Batman movie from 1989, like the Tim Burton Batman movie. Mm-hmm. They kind of did the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, so this really does go back further than I originally thought. It seemed like a newer trend because it's it's been happening more frequently. 
mm-hmm. uh, like closer together. But mm-hmm. I guess they've always been doing that. They've just been taking because again, you don't have to pay the directors that much money because oh well, you're small time, so you don't have as much scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like after that first one, it's like makes a lot of money. It's like well, now we can afford to pay you proper scale. And then mm-hmm. Dark Knight was at one time the, the biggest grossing movie, not the biggest grossing movie ever, but it broke every record except highest amount worldwide gross. Mm-hmm. And then Avatar shattered those. But still, it's like Christopher Nolan suddenly, yeah, he became this uh, the guy who does these weird, intricate mystery movies to the new face of blockbuster cinema. Mm-hmm. And, and then, like, yeah, he fucking... But I think that's where it, like, really, really changed was, like, like studios saw that and were just like, you know what, we we need our Christopher Nolan. We need another Christopher Nolan. Or we need another... Uh, <laughs> um, you know, now it's like... Yeah, but they now don't it's stop. Like, yeah. Yeah, but it's just, it's just, they don't stop to think, well... He's Christopher Nolan. Mm-hmm. Not everyone thinks that Christopher Nolan. There's a lot of br- brilliant filmmakers. Like I think um, one they did, they did a. It was the Kong Skull Island, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna mess up the director's name. I think it's like Jordan Vogt Roberts. Mm-hmm. He was an indie director, and they gave him here do a King Kong movie. Mm-hmm. That's a very fun movie. It's very stylistic, and it's there's a lot of homages to like cannibal holocaust and apocalypse now and mm-hmm. all these things but christopher nolan is on a different level intellectually now that jordan now that Vogue roberts is stupid but mm-hmm. nolan's just a, a fucking weirdo mm-hmm. and you watch like how there's like a video where he draws a story graph for a memento and when you realize that he and his brother planned this out on a road trip just spitballing it's like what kind of a family is this what does that dinner table look like where you're just planning these intricate storylines yep to to make to fill in the dead air of a road trip mm-hmm. and then yeah and uh and that's basically you know um and that's another reason why they get these indie directors because they're cheap not only are they cheap but they are not knowledgeable of how the studio system works and Mm -hmm. that means they can they can throw a lot a lot more bullshit at them and they'll just take it because they're naive and young and just like oh my god i'm making this big scale movie i'm making a lot of money people are gonna know who i am and all that and like um and thankfully, like some people, I think that's how they got, um, what's his name? Uh, the New Zealander, um, Taika Waititi, Ta- Ta- Taika Waititi. Yeah. Like they got, that's how they got him. Like they got that off hunt, hunt of the wilder people. And, uh, what was in like, what we do in the shadows. Fucking awesome. Which is movie. one of the best vamp, probably, no, the best vampire movie ever made in my opinion. <laughs> It's one of my favorite movies it's, ever. It's the Vampire Spinal Tap. I've always called it's, it that. Ah, oh, that's a great comparison. Yeah, <laughs> such a brilliant movie. 
obligatory rest in peace, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> like fucking beautiful man. Uh, we miss you. Uh, yeah. but, uh, fucking, um, <laughs> and then they get him on to like make Thor Ragnarok. And thankfully he's kind of like handled it a lot better than most of the indie darlings that have been like, that have been like, you know, brought into that spotlight. And he just mm-hmm. said like, okay, I'll make one for one for the, it's the classic one for the meal, one for the real mm-hmm. sort of thing where he makes yeah. that. And then he just goes back to doing his own thing and gets fucking Jojo rabbit. <laughs> yeah. And wins an Oscar. Well, Cause that's the mm-hmm. thing about, I will say this in defense of what I've seen of Marvel studios, Kevin Feige, he likes to try and give now give filmmakers space to breathe and do whatever mm-hmm. they want. Cause he admitted he had made the mistake when he did age of Ultron. He was too in Joss Whedon's face, mm-hmm. which from what we heard about Joss Whedon now, is it a, eh, who really mm-hmm. cares? But mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he, but I think he really stepped back and let Taika just do his thing. Mm-hmm. Also, Taika, he produced his own movies. So it's like, he seems to have the backbone of like, mm, I'm not going to get pushed around. Mm-hmm. I I have enough experience. I know what this is about. I know what to do. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't try and uh, get in my way. And I think Feige and, also learned his lesson when Edgar Wright stepped away from Ant-Man. It was just like... That's a callback. <laughs> you don't, you don't want to let the next Edgar Wright go away. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's very true. No. You still watch Ant-Man, it still feels like an Edgar Wright movie. There are some moments where you think, oh, that's Edgar Wright right there. Mm-hmm. What could have been, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, he made the last night in Soho, so he's fine. And Baby Driver and all yeah, that. Yeah, we wouldn't that. have gotten Baby Driver or last night in Soho if he went and made Ant-Man. Yeah, and um, I think... And we need more smaller movies, so I think it's kind of a good thing in the long run. It sucks for him because he wanted to make Ant-Man, but I think it's good for cinema that he is still making smaller movies and... Uh, mm-hmm. But people yeah. need to go see the smaller movies. Mm-hmm. Watch yeah. original movies. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, that's why, um, what was I going to say? Like, that's why I appreciate his movies, and that's why I appreciate Nolan, too, because it's, like, big names, but they're, like, they're original properties. Like, they're mm-hmm. not based on anything. Yeah. It's just, like, you know, it's such a breath of fresh air from every fucking marvel movie and tv show now that's fucking dominating everything and it's like oh my god i i i I pretty much like um around the time i started college actually i i basically just stopped with a lot of disney properties and a lot of like other stuff i still like will watch the big tentpole stuff like Mm -hmm. um like, uh, I watched Avengers, I watched Endgame, I watched, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Infinity War and all that. But all those TV shows, I'm like, I, I don't give a fuck about this. Yeah. Or, like, The Book of Boba Fett, which, like, I'm like, didn't, is this, like, The Mandalorian? Like, what is, like, what is this? Like, I don't know. What are you yeah, doing? Stop I... saturating this shit. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it's it's totally fair. Like, I'm a big comic book nerd, Mm -hmm. so I have been keeping up with the Marvel shows at least, but the Mandalorian I haven't seen yet. I want to see because it sounds like something I actually really like. But then this came out, the Book of Boba Fett, and I went, oh, come on. That's a bit too far. I'm one of those weirdos. I've never been a fan of Boba Fett. I've never cared about him. So him to get his own show, I mean, great. Maybe he'll actually do something cool for once that isn't in a comic book that's technically non-canon anymore. Fanboys. He fucking did. He was never really that big of a character anyway. I know, right? He was a fucking bounty, a one-off bounty hunter in the he... second Star Wars movie and gets killed off like a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's one. what I Right. That's what I've been saying. <laughs> I've been saying this for 10 years. Nobody he... listens to me. He has no fucking character. He's literally a clone or no. Um yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah, he just and he just gets he gets hit with a pole by a blind man and he uh, he dies. Yeah, he gets he gets like fucking lost in the sand rectum and fucking like just yeah, you, you know what he you know what he does he shoots a rope mm-hmm. and then he dies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's his arc. He he shoots a rope and then he dies. It's just like, and then he's just like become like this famous fucking lore character. It's like, who gives a shit? Now, anybody who's a big Boba Fett fan, pre this TV show, I think needs to take a long... I understand there's a lot of comics about him, but it's like, those can, those comics are moot. They're non-canon. Mm-hmm. It's like, official. So, if you throw the extended universe at me, uh, shut up. It doesn't exist. You can love it or hate so, it, but it's, it's, it's how it is. It's just so, like, I, I don't... And, Oh man, and to me it just feels like a lot of pandering to to fucking fanboys, and it's like yeah, fucking... like the Mandalorian seemed cool because it was like a new character and all that, but then all the stuff, the Book of Boba Fett, it's like okay, now you're really just trying to get the people who are against Star Wars back into Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like... I mean, I'm sure maybe it's fun, maybe, mm-hmm. but who knows. It's just like to me, it's like so fucking oversaturated, right? And fucking, oh my god, that's why I barely watch Marvel stuff because it's like, especially. Sorry, you can hear my fucking ASMR of me chewing my food. Um, <laughs> especially after Endgame, the whole thing feels fucking pointless. The arc is over. The story is over. It's been told. What more yeah. do we fucking need? Yeah, it. We're in a weird slant right now because, and for Marvel, for comp, for like superhero fans, like we're it's in a weird slant because they're trying to build up the next big arc. Hmm. And I mean, it was, and I mean, hey, it was slow with uh, the last one too. It wasn't until like Avengers it took off, and then you know, it. Even then, it had ups, its ups and downs. So right now, it's it's kind of in a down because it's trying to tie off th- what happened and then bridge it to what they have planned next, which seems to yeah. be all multiverse stuff, which mm. can be cool and fun and interesting. Here's so, like that. My thing there is just like it feels so 
it feels so calculated and forced. Because if you recall, like, the original Iron Man was supposed to be just a one-off, really. And then it just developed into... <laughs> into... It... Well... It, it wasn't, it wasn't. It was set where it could have just been a one-off, but they had they had that, years planned. They had that, like, that last thing, but it was, like, it, it 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 really depended on Iron Man being a fucking success or not, yeah. right? Yeah. And it so, yeah. Felt, It was a gamble. And it's the biggest gamble in cinema. And thankfully it worked out for them, but that's the thing, like, it felt organic, <laughs> It felt yeah. like it it hap like it hap because it because it had to be a good movie. Yeah, like make like the, the, this is the mistake DC made. It's like make good movies first before you shove a universe down our throat. Like, yeah, because that's the whole thing. Like for those earlier uh, Marvel movies, they had to what they were relying on was okay, this movie has to be good mm-hmm. for people to want to see more of these kinds of movies. So they really worked hard. Now it's like, well, you know, throw a Marvel movie out there, people will watch it. But at the start, yeah, they had it had to be good, or otherwise it would have failed. Fucking Disney remake, which is it could be a topic for another fucking episode. <laughs> and that's when I'll just get angry for fucking three hours and just lose my shit. And you really think I want to talk about that shit? You think I want to spend energy on that? No way. <laughs> Fuck that. Fuck Stupid that bullshit. Uh. Fuck that. I do I really want you really think I've seen any live action Disney remakes? No way. I haven't either, and I'll still fucking get pissed off about it. That you know that's fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking stupid motherfuckers. Anyways. Uh that that Oh boy. Like uh But hey Disney, uh me personally, I like a lot of stuff you're doing. Uh call me and send me a paycheck. (laughs) Uh, yeah uh marvel I'll, only i'll stay stick keep me away from mulan Dis- <laughs> disney hire me i love china uh <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm not with him <laughs> oh mike we were doing so good <laughs> we were getting decent at Writing the line between political and just being fans. <laughs> uh, oh boy, I I did it, didn't I? Uh, yeah. Hey, well, did... what's a what's a what's a casual segue? Uh, Matthew Vaughn. Yes. We're talking about superhero movies. He does superhero movies. He does comic book movies. You know what he used to do, or what he seemed like he was just gonna do? Uh, crime dramas. Yep. He did Layer Cake. He produced Guy Ritchie movies. Like he yep. was, seemed like, oh, British crime for us. Then he made, then he made Stardust, mm-hmm. and everyone went, what? Then, then he made Kick Ass, and no, and then he made X Men First. Yeah, yeah Kick Ass, and then was X Men First Class. He made one of the best X Men movies, and a lot of people who <laughs> watched Layer Cake were still going, oh. And then he made Kingsman, which is fucking awesome. I still haven't seen the new Kingsman yet, and I want to. Um, is it out? Yeah, to what I, to my knowledge, yeah. Um, it's so hard to tell what movies are out and what's what's still coming soon because yeah. there are some studios that want to hold off, and there's some studios who want to go, eh, just throw it out there. 
and yeah, that fucking happened <laughs> with a lot of movies and uh, uh, COVID, COVID. I hate to say it right now, but this is the only thing we'll say of COVID. That's the only. That's the real frustrating thing right now when it comes to movies. I don't know when movies are released anymore. I don't know when what are what movies are being held, and what are, ones are just they're going forward with it. Obviously, the new Spider-Man movie was released because they made a billion dollars. It's the first movie since the pandemic to make a billion dollars. Yep, good for them. And uh, well, I, I hope movie theaters get a fucking nice big bounce back because our industry, our industry more than any other fucking industry, has been utterly fucked up the ass. We still haven't figured fucking, that. Do you remember fucking... when Warner Brothers was going to release all their movies straight to HBO Max? And theaters same yeah. day, and then literally everybody was angry at them. Yeah, and Christopher Nolan threatened to fucking leave them. And Denis Villeneuve <laughs> wasn't happy because that could have tanked his whole Dune yeah. movie. It yeah, it would have. He wouldn't have been able to make part two if they couldn't release his movie in theaters. So he's like, yep. "Fucking no, you're not gonna do that." Yep. And, they ditched uh, that real quick. It was like two days. What? And they re- they redacted it? Yeah. Um, like, fuck. And, oh, uh, man, that, that could be a whole nother thing. Just like how fucking, how this fucking thing has affected us in, in like the, the entertainment industry. Uh, yeah. We seem to be on the tail of an end of it. I fucking hope for the love yeah. of God, I fucking hope, but... Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. We're either going to... Either theaters are going to go away and everything's just going to be streaming. Or theaters are going to be out for very specialized kind of experiences. Yeah, something like that. I, I don't know. But um, I just... Uh, I... You know what? In a way, it was a blessing in disguise for me because I would not have started my YouTube channel had it not been for that. It was basically just a way to fucking keep me occupied and keep my yeah. skills sharp during the pandemic. And that worked, thankfully. Um, I, I still uh, would have been in a toxic relationship. Yeah. <laughs> I should probably bleep that out once I edit this. <laughs> uh, hey, you know what? Uh, <laughs> I, I was in a toxic friendship. <laughs> fucking, uh, that, that was a whole other fucking thing. But um, oh, all right, I'm gonna bleep that out once I get into this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have like the long bleep sensor and let yeah. people infer what I what I said. That's gonna be real funny. Yeah. Um. But uh. Yeah. It and to me, just like in 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 uh in conclusion, since we've been doing this for two fucking hours. Holy shit! Um, it's yeah, currently... usually it goes. We just we just well the way the show works is that we kind of just keep rambling until eventually you can't ramble anymore. It's like okay, I've gone as far as I can with this. <laughs> yeah, and so like uh, yeah, but I I can I can fucking talk for fucking hours, but like oh I know <sighs> yeah. I re- I'm gonna say this to you. This is, this comes from love. I remember when we would do our pitches in school. And Luke would say, okay, your group has 15 minutes, and you would take up all 15 just on your part alone. 
Yeah. And I loved it because you're so passionate. But there's a lot of parts like you can feel the ticking clock in the back of your mind like, eh. And as soon as you're, it's, but it was, it was always on the dime. You have this impeccable internal clock, I think, from your drumming experience and all that. As soon as you're done talking, Luke would say, okay, your 50 minutes are up. <laughs> so it's like you're, all your head hears is, oh, 15 minutes. And then as soon as you're done, it's exactly 15 minutes on the dot that you'd be done. That That's it. Yep. And it was like impeccable every single time. <laughs> yep. Because I, I, I uh, oh, man, I, I don't know. Uh, you're a passionate guy. Yep. And then uh, it, uh. <laughs> And what what was uh I can't even remember like when that happened. Uh, it happened was, for maybe the dock pitches. I don't know. It was the dock pitches, and it was for the crew pitches for the short films. Yeah, yeah. It was like I, you and Aaron pitching for sound, and then it was the music video pitch. Yeah, and then I I just remember uh fuck I I. And the great, the fucking weirdest thing is, I barely had any notes. I I don't know why. I I just could fucking go up there and and just say what I gotta fucking say, and then just get out. And that's that's what I did for my crew pitch. I just went up there and I just talked, and I just threw up my hey. I worked for uh, Jonathan Sobel, filmmaker. I dropped and, the mic and I walked away. Yeah, and then fucking. Uh, what was and Sawyer hated me for that? He goes, "Oh fuck you, you piece of shit." Why? Why, why did Sawyer hate you for that? He hated uh, me because it was it was like the it was like the love the hate of love, where I can, I could sit, I get up there and say, "Yeah, you know what?" And I worked for Jonathan Sobel, so I know of organization. And he's sitting there because he wanted to go for the same position I am, and he's going, "Oh, you, you, and your Sobel, and you're being one of Sobel's boys." Now he can't do that anymore because I got him a job f- with Sobel, so yeah. now he's one of Sobel's boys too. Yeah. So it's like he can't complain. Sorry if you're listening to this, you can't complain. <laughs> yeah. Um. You you know what? Like I uh, <laughs> I fuck that whole thing. Like me just being so passionate and everything was a lot. <laughs> well, a lot of anger just at myself uh from how things worked out the last time i was in that that program and i dropped out like 10 years prior uh and i just basically because i went back to school and i was just like okay this is my last chance to make something of myself Mm -hmm. i cannot fuck this up like at all and and uh like um that, that it comes from that and it comes from just <laughs> again we talked about this before we started i am a very competitive person and i when i feel slighted or i feel like like i'm not being given the respect i deserve i just get like like mm. I'm, I'm making i'm making this fucking face this evil fucking face right now and like i Oh, yeah. I am going to fucking make you regret the day you fucking spat in my face, you sons of motherfuckers. And then yeah, I remember seeing of... glimpses of it on set when you're in your producer days, and I'm just going like, ooh, buddy. <laughs> Well, 
I think we've gone as far as we can with this. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, me, me too. And, uh, like, you know what? I've had a lot of fun here. Um, fuck. What were we even talking about at first? Directors who step out of their comfort zones. And Something that's like just, that. Yeah, and, 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 uh, and now it's well, turned into like a fucking well, ranting about college. This. Well, you know what? That's the beauty of this show. Like, I if you notice, I like to start with one subject and it ends with completely another. And, uh, well, especially when you have a few beers and if you have somebody they like talking to, it's just how conversations go and this is mm-hmm. the natural flow. And, it, uh, you know, if it needed to end it with college talk, it needed to end it with college talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what? I may sound like somewhat salty over college. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But I had a great time there. I met so many wonderful people. I worked with mm-hmm. so many wonderful people, yourself included. Oh, um, would you look at that? And uh, Sawyer, Sawyer as well, if you're listening. Like, yes. you are. you are the best fucking director i ever worked with on that yeah fucking sawyer thing. It, you are like you are a gentleman and a scholar and i love our road trip back from toronto and all that nonsense and fuck i loved working sound with him on on that capital gains documentary that was so much yeah so much fun such a breeze um and you know what i, I loved working with you know a lot of other people too um and, you know, our teachers as well. Like, I, I had a great experience. I am so happy that I got, that I finished what I started. Because, mm-hmm. and this is, this is something I want to tell people. Like, you, when you make, when you make a mistake when you're younger, and my mistake was uh, really not being in control of my mental health and letting it get the best of me. And due to that, dropping out of college and um, <clears throat> the... <sighs> for a good 10 years like it was every day a regret Mm -hmm. and you know i i tried to forget about it and i tried to just focus on other things but it would always be in the back of my head it would always be the thing like i'd think about like going to bed at night and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and i just remembered um you know what i need to go i need to get this done i'm i was what 27 28 at the time um, and you know, <laughs> when you hit a certain age, like t- time really starts to go by fast. And before you know it, you're going to be 40, you're going to be 50, and then you're going to be close to death. <laughs> and like that scared the shit out of me to be, <sighs> well, one, one of the things was that also during that 10 year period where I, between my first stint in that program and my stint where I finally graduated was I had a couple brushes with, uh, with death, um, a couple Mm -hmm. close calls. Um, and I realized then I'm like, I never did what I wanted to fucking do. And like, I need to do this or else that, that scared the shit out of me to be on my deathbed and to have that fucking kind of regret. And I don't have that regret anymore. And, um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, like, I'm sorry. Uh, so, like it really meant it really I had a great experience and when I finally finished it up and you know I was like okay this is one thing I don't have to fucking have nightmares over anymore Mm -hmm. so 
thank fucking God. And I'm sorry, I'm sounding so fucking sentimental and pretentious and shit, but yeah, I'm going to make it, I'm going to get more sentimental. Um, I will say first time I, I saw you when we had class together for the first time, I thought, you know, with all those, cause you were in a, you, without naming names, you were among a group of people who seemed like, okay, yeah, these are these, uh, you know, these January starts, like whatever. But as time went on, you proved yourself to such an extent, went, okay, this is somebody I want to keep around. This is somebody who actually fucking cares. This is yeah. somebody who will get stuff done. Mm-hmm. And then through your channel, uh, Mad Mike, everybody subscribe. <laughs> this is somebody who is extremely multi-talented and is capable of more than they think and more than anybody else thinks. More than even I fucking think, probably. Yeah. Uh, like that fucking channel, like it, I feel like, <laughs> and you probably saw this out of me in college where I, I have this style where it's, it's professional, but then it just goes completely off the fucking rails. And all of a sudden you're sucking M&M's cock with your pouty boy mouth. Um <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep cut right there. <laughs> uh, that's an only inside hand, joke. Only a handful of people in the world will know what that means. <laughs> so, you know what? To I'll fucking explain it. Fuck this. Uh, so, to explain it, we had a second year short film that we were making, and it was based off of like a Stephen King like short story or whatever. Uh, this one was called Graffiti. I can't remember what it was based off of, but uh, it was about this. Um, this incredibly... Uh, it's like All That You Love Will Be Carried Away or some shit. Yeah, that All That the, You Love Will Be Carried Away. That was the original title. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you wrote the adaptation and you decided to call it Graffiti because you said, fucking, that's a stupid long title. Yeah. That's stupid. It was a ridiculously long title. And basically it's about this mentally ill person who just, like, um, goes... And just taking takes notes of bathroom graffiti and look looks down like his most epic ones. And I remember in the in the short story, uh, it, it talked about like sucking someone's dick. I can't remember who it was with the pouty boy mouth and shit. And I thought that was so fucking random and out of place. And I'm like, this is fucking perfect. I'll just say Eminem here, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if you watch, if you. Read the script. It's like this really dark, really like a psychologically heavy story about a very fucked up man who's suicidal. And then all of a sudden it just says this fucking line. I sucked Eminem's cock with my pouty boy well, mouth. The, the funniest thing about it, though, is that when I was cutting it originally before we had voiceover from our actor, our director... <laughs> read the voiceover on set so there is audio of our director who someone we know very dearly saying i sucked eminem's cock with my pouty boy mouth that's what took it to a whole new level was oh you God. have this exact audio of this person oh, saying this was the these things best it was the best oh my god that I'm was sitting so there. ridiculous I'm the, i was the editor of that film i'm tucked away in a closet taking notes because i'm out of view of the camera it was a small little motel room we shot in i'm tucked away in the motel room 
tucked away in the closet. <laughs> Funny enough. Yeah. Um, tucked away. And I'm hearing him saying these things, and I'm trying so hard not to laugh. <laughs> I think everyone was. Because, <laughs> oh my god, how was... do you say this without a straight face? Also, him of all people saying oh, yeah. it, everybody would have laughed because he but, it's just like. like but that that's kind of like, that's been my style, and you see it on my fucking channel where like. Like this Metallica video, it looks so professional, looks so fucking mm-hmm. really well worked on, and uh, fucking special effects are pristine and all that. And then all of a sudden, fucking Mad Mike, you're a fucking poser. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> it just goes off the fucking rails. And yeah, <laughs> it's a 50 minute rant about fucking like they didn't sell out. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> And I got fucking angry <laughs> during that fucking video. Um, yeah, rightfully so. It was a good. It was a good little good rant. It's a good video. It's a really good video. But like, I, 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 I keep saying I'm gonna send it. To, I keep sending it. I sent it to my brother once because yeah. we were talking about the whole Metallica thing, and I went, "Look, I'm gonna send you this video that a buddy of mine did, and it puts it into per- proper perspective. You can't say anything aside from what he says." Yeah, because he put it so, he put it so right. You do. You did a great job with that video. Yeah, and like, um, but that's basically that's that's where I think I found my niche. Where it's like it's it's professional, but then I fucking just I turn it on its fucking head, and all of a sudden it's something completely like out of left field, and you're just like, what the yeah. fuck just what the fuck yeah. that just happened. <laughs> Just like most of the directors we've talked about this whole episode, when they step out of a genre and they flip it on its head and they do something weird. Yep. And that's how we tie it all together. We cap yep. it. That is that is the rug in the Big Lebowski. It brings the whole thing that's together. That's how we bring it all together. Yeah. So and, thank um, you to everybody for listening, yep. uh, joining us for this different. Uh, thank you, Mike, for being my first guest. Thanks, fucks. Uh, <laughs> and the whole thing. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to plug? Did you plug your Patreon while I was pissing uh, in a toilet? No, I did not. Uh, plug I your always, Patreon. I always fucking forget that. Plug uh, your Patreon. Patreon.com slash mad, 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 Mike. Um, and I, I've <laughs> there's a part of me that's still so uncomfortable asking people for money, but at, at the same time, YouTube and their fucking... TOS and their monetization policies are getting more draconian by the day. So you know what? I'd rather, I'd rather take money from like you know, yeah, people who actually want to watch my content instead of people who want to take my content away. Um, yeah, so, for sure. <clears throat> um, yeah, Patreon.com/slash Mad 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 Mike, and it's three dollars a month. Um, you know, sorry, I'm not going to hold a gun to your head. And I want to emphasize this so much. Take care of yourself financially. Spend your money responsibly before you start to support your creators. Okay? I do not want to be the cause of someone's bankruptcy. I know it's just $3, but at the same time, please take care of yourself before you think of throwing money, you know, someone else's way. Um, So, and again, 3 bucks a month. And, um, you know, what I make is like, out like i'll make short little album reviews here and there um and you know i got big 
my big main my big flagship series of course is keeping tabs um that's like a documentary slash you know video essay series that i do my next one is on seth putnam look him up fucking it's fucking fascinating (laughs) in all the worst fucking ways but it's someone that i just want to tell a story on and um you know i i do other random shit here and there that you know people really really like and that um you know i am looking to grow my audience that way and uh so yeah um patreon.com slash mad 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 mike three dollars a month and the perks for it you will get a shout out in your in my videos and we'll get together once a month or whatever to shoot the shit on a live stream and uh yeah so sign up if you want to thank you sorry right. <laughs> it's okay uh so this is essentially we talked a lot about dune being two and a half hours this is a two and a half hour episode essentially right now running uh my bad so <laughs> it's all right yeah thank you mike uh this so this has been uh a very massive pop culture rambling from two very bored and intoxicated men <laughs> yeah thank you you're welcome